Hey, CP. What up, boy? Good to see you, man. I ain't yes, seen you since my love. It's Spot in Miami. Awesome, man. It's been a while. Appreciate it, bro. Spot in Miami called uh, I feel like I know y'all. I don't know y'all, but I feel like I, I know y'all. How you doing? <laughs> how you doing? Nice to meet you. I'm Ryan. What's, What's up, up, boss, man? It's a pleasure to meet you. How you How are you? Hey, TP. Teach them right. You can beat this dude. Can you all hoop that dude? What's up, man? <laughs> How you doing? I'm all right, thank God. Man, good. I'll be, be with your family all the time. I know, I know. We've been taking, you spend more time with my family, and I spend more time with little Chris. Exactly. Chris, look. Troy, follow my man, look. What's up, buddy? How you doing, man? Troy, I ain't gonna cuss because these kids are around, but what's up, man? <laughs> <laughs> you good, Big Dog? Yo, Jalen, man, everything straight? All right, I'm gonna call you when we're done. My son said, Little Chris said, his house is so big, but it's in the middle of nowhere. It is, bro. Chris, no. where? You went, oh, when you was with Kingston. Yeah. And y'all went down there. Y'all went out there, because I got my kids' location. Right? right. And so they was with Marvel. And I was like, okay, we thought they was at their house. Then I looked at his location. And he was in San Diego. I was like, oh, where, where he at? Where, where he took my kids? <laughs> How many kids you got? Three. Three? Yeah, 11, oh. 10, and two. Ooh, yeah. man, you started over. I reached yeah. COVID, bro. That's tough. That's bro, COVID. He said COVID. He was on phone That reset of motherfucker. Y'all got home. So I got four, I got five boys and a daughter. Ooh. Yeah. So my three. oldest I'm son. I'm done, though. I'm my, my last one just graduated high school. Oh, yeah, you done. Yeah, I'm 24, 22, 18. My youngest is 11. You don't even look like you old enough to have kids. Them, them boys were real loose <laughs> back in high school. <laughs> hey, hey. That's what it was, high school. Bro, I was so terrified to somebody. The high school it's, part. It's crazy, me. man. I tell y'all. I mean, football different, but like, with us, like, I'm, I'm in the locker room with guys that's closer in age to my kids than they are to me now. Right. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. And like, um, who was it? Y'all, obviously, y'all know JJ Reddick. Yeah. JJ was my teammate. And um, when we first met, he didn't have any kids, right? Me and my wife was sitting with him and his wife. And they was like, you know, it's a lot of people to be like, we're just going to enjoy each other and have kids later. And then he started seeing me every day at practice with little Chris. And next thing you know, he came to practice one day and he was like, Chelsea's pregnant. And I never thought about it. You just, like, what's dope about having kids like that, though, is your kids got a chance to see you play. Yep. Right, yeah. Right? And so I say that. I'd be talking to Devin, like, and all these, because he ain't got no kids or whatnot. But I, I'm, I'm so happy that they got to see me play, and they ain't had to go to YouTube. Yep. Right. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, but you picked the, the right person to, to make babies with. Oh, no, that's a big thing. Don't really just young, encourage I tell, people. Yeah, I tell guys all the time, be careful who you procreate with now. So it, it, it also, you know, pays to have a, a, a strong 18-year career and still going. We won the Super Bowl. Jordan was eight. He broke us down at every walkthrough on Saturday. See? That's cool. Because I would take him to walkthrough all the time. And so then the next year, he was the babysitter. He'd make like $100 every Saturday morning because wow. everybody started bringing their boys right. and he'd watch them. See, yeah. ain't nothing like yeah. it. And I, and I always say this because, like I said, playing as long as I didn't play, I, Monty Williams, coached me back in New Orleans my last year, and then he was my coach till they just let him go. But when I first got there, I used to always be like, Coach, where Elijah at? His kids. And Coach used to be like, man, I try to, like, not bring them around. I was like, oh, Coach, no, no. We all together too much not to. Mm -hmm. And I be on my kids' head all the time. I'm the hardest person on them because their advantage is not their last name. Correct. You know what I'm saying? That's not their advantage. That's actually the disadvantage. The advantage is seeing the work. Access. Right? So you got to you gotta bring them to practice sometimes. You got to let them see mm -hmm. what you're doing. Because right. mm -hmm. 
if you think they just gonna make it off your last name, yeah. that's, that's, that's what's not gonna happen. So co coach son, real nice too. Really? He, he won top five players in the country now. Dang. Yeah. How old is he? How old is his son? Ninth grade. Ninth, Ninth grade. grade. The other thing too, to have kids that end up doing what you do. I think in basketball, it's, it's, it's really prominent. Like yeah. all the dudes that I watch play, it seems like all of their kids hoop. But in football, not everybody, because yeah. not everybody wants to do it. Well, not everybody wants to do it. And then, <laughs> I'm going to be honest, I played football. Mm -hmm. Like, I played varsity football as a freshman and sophomore, and I was on the JV basketball team. Really? Like, I'm the way I am because I played football, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Like, straight up, I'm the way I am because I played football. I won't let him. Yeah. I won't let him. And think about it. Like, this sounds crazy, and I don't know y'all take on football and all that. I know y'all made a career, but it's so many more guys who played football who won't let their kids play. Yeah. That ain't the case with basketball. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's different. But, so it's, but I tell you this is what changed my mind, because I got 11 year old. He's about to go in. His first year tackle's coming up, right? Uh -huh. Yep. And you know Pat Sertan? He, yeah. play, he played in the league. He's, all, he's a pro bowler back in the day, and now his son was a first-round draft pick. So I started talking to Pat, and I was like, Pat, man, you, you know, all the head injury, all right, that stuff. Right. You, why, how did you, what was your decision to let little Pat play? He said, man, if God gave him the gift to play at a high level at this, I'm the one stopping him. And that's what made me change my mind. Mm -hmm. And I respect, I respect the hell out, because it's so crazy. I say that I started playing tackle when I was like five or six, mm -hmm. right? Like, I yeah. loved football. I went to the national championship for football, like Pop Warner. Like, everything was football, you know what I'm saying? But then he played flag. He was nice. He was out there. And when he wanted to play tackle, I didn't let him. Right. And I almost be mad at myself sometimes because if you look at a lot of the best basketball players, it's because we played football. That's true. Like, I like the contact and hoop because of football. It's also a, a certain level of athleticism that goes into it that I think you learn to play through physicality while being athletic, where in basketball, you know, I actually, I tweeted it during the game. I was like, man, it would be hard for me. One, I ain't got the skill to play basketball at y'all level, but it would be hard for me to have to fake soft. You know what I'm saying? For, mm -hmm. for me to know a man is pushing me and to not lean into the push or to not push him back or to not be physical, to have to let him push me and almost feel like, oh, I let you win. Yeah. Like that, like that part doesn't compute. You for talking me. about when Brian fly into the fourth row? <laughs> when somebody touch him? No, hey, but he's six eight two six. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Brian, nobody ain't pushing Brian into the fourth row. It's it's crazy because like sometimes somebody do something to you, you embellish it a little bit or whatnot because you're trying to get a foul, you're trying to get possession. Like that that can go either way. But what you're saying is so real, like it's crazy because I talk about my kids, but they right here, but they know I'd say it to them too. I get so frustrated with my son because he only wants to play basketball, right? Like, he know it. Like, I'd I be on his head. I'd be like, play something else. And I think about it, like, when you play football, y'all play pop one or two? Yeah. Yes. Like, all the stuff you had to do, like, you didn't even think about. When you had to do six inches, didn't right, you was getting your abs stronger. Mm -hmm. You didn't it's even fun. know. Yeah. Like, all this different type stuff, because I'm always with him now, trying mm -hmm. to make him do push-ups to get him stronger. Playing football, you wasn't lifting weights, but you sort of was. You right. know what I'm saying? Yes. All the stuff, them up downs, the all, all yeah. of that stuff bull in the that ring you, that you did for punishment, <laughs> that, that indirect stuff that made you better, it right. made you stronger physically. And I always go back to um, in terms of the kids in sports and if they want to play this sport or that sport or football, exposing them, allowing them to go, and if they fall in love with it, so be it. It's yeah. a million ways to die. Mm. Yeah.
It's also a million ways to podcast, but it's only one way to pivot. Yes, sir. So <laughs> we gonna start. Hold up. Limitless. Take a semi-cap pin in it. I thought they here to witness it. Got my people feeling militant. Way I'm feeling, get me up. On the mission, get me up. No one me, I got the key. On the vision, I can trust. Trust. Limitless. Take a semi-cap pin in it. I thought they here to witness it. Got my people feeling militant. Way I'm feeling, get me up. On the mission, get me up. Man, welcome to The Pivot. This is Chan. I'm RC. This is Freddie T. To our partners, Happy Dad. We appreciate you guys, DraftKings. I mean, I think, you know, we've had enough conversation. Bro, your career speaks for itself. Finished 18 years, 12-time All-Star, 2013 All-Star MVP, 11 All-NBA teams, nine times All-Defensive team, Rookie of the Year for my, at the time, New Orleans Hornets, uh, two-time gold medalist, uh, NBA PA president from 2013 to 2021, largely responsible for the bubble, uh, was said that you actually kept basketball going in 2020 after Jacob Blake um, was, was shot. And so I just think there's so much that goes into you that we want to get into. But with all of those accolades, you'll also add author on June 20th with 61 life lessons from Papa on and off the court. Uh, you had a joke, or you said that the Cedric the Entertainer skit with the cigarette <laughs> in the mouth, dude fixing your carburetor, but talking to you, never dropping the cigarette, and just somebody who embraced the entire community. You said he was not only blue collar, but blue pants, had the red rag, red name stitched on, on his shirt. You committed to Wake Forest. There was one hat. He was wearing it. And shortly after that, you're at a football game and you get a phone call. Take us through that night and the events that transpired after you got that phone call. Man, first of all, thank y'all for having me. Uh, it's an honor and a privilege, man. I, I watch you guys and see you guys and all the conversations you have. And I tell you, sometimes I see it and I'll be like, damn, I want to tell him this. <laughs> I want to tell him that. You know what I mean? But I, I appreciate it. Uh, but what you were saying was uh, that day was a day I'll never forget. You know what I mean? It's been 20 years now since that happened. And um, I was at our high school football game, got a phone call from my brother. My older brother, CJ, had drove down for my signing and he had went back to school. Um, and he said, I'm coming home. And I was like, what you mean you coming home? You was just here. And he was like, Papa sick. And like, what makes it so crazy is I was just with my granddad the day before on probably one of the biggest days of my life. And as I'm going uh, to the car, I see one of my cousins and he grabbed me and he told me uh, they killed him. Right. And so at 17, and I know there's a lot of people in this world who done had way crazier tragedies than, than I have, but that was tough. That was tough, you know, when people that's close to you pass away or die from sickness or things like that, that's a lot easier to deal with. But knowing who my grandfather was and what he meant to my family, there was a lot for me to have to deal with. Somebody had to take over as a patriarch. <clears throat> And you say you were 17, did, did, was that stress for you? Did you take over? Was it a, you know, a community thing? How, how did you replace? You know, what's funny is like, I am blessed and fortunate to have mom and dad, right? Because I always talk about this 
when guys win or they become successful or something, they always say, thanks, mom. And my mom dope, don't get it twisted, but my pops is like a real dad. You know what I'm saying? And he always been that for my family. My grandmother died when I was eight from lung cancer. I, I'm from Winston-Salem, Tobacco Road, so everybody smokes cigarettes, right? <laughs> everybody, like, my, my class field trips as a kid was to the tobacco plant, right? So everybody had COPD or whatnot, and my grandmother died of lung cancer when I was eight, my grandfather's wife. And at her funeral, he, like, put his arm around me, and I remember, I'm very visual, I remember how my mom and my aunt looked at the funeral, and it was tough. When she died, me and my grandfather got even closer. Right, and y'all know what it's like, like with your parents. My parents was hard on me. So anytime I got a butt whooping, I call Papa. <laughs> Papa, they tripping. <laughs> Papa, come get me. So after church, I would ride with my granddad. And my granddad was the first person I knew with money. Like with real wide, Yeah, saying. yeah, but like real money. You know what I'm saying? Like my granddaddy used to have a fat wad of money in his pocket, right? So I just, I just saw the way he moved and it's crazy like being older now, that was 20 years ago. I was just on the phone talking to somebody about how my granddad never went on vacations and stuff because he just worked. And I think sometimes we find ourselves doing that too because we got to provide. And so when that happened with my granddad, I did take on a bit of responsibility and I knew what I wanted to do for me and my family. So the title of the book, 61, <clears throat> represents your grandfather's age mm -hmm. at his passing. And uh, the day after, you had a basketball game in which you scored 61 points. So my question to you is this, Chris. How in the hell? <laughs> I'm sure the anger and the frustration was there, but to be able to go out there and, and score 61 at your will and then purposely airball a shot so you wouldn't score no more and it would finish on that number, like, how do you, how in the hell were you that fucking good and that upset at the same time? Tell you the truth, I still... Oh no, like my dad still has the tape. Like my dad is the hoarder, he has everything. So he has the tape. So I've watched bits and pieces of it, especially with my kids so that they can see it. But it was seriously like a out of body experience. We was actually playing against my mom's old high school and all my family was there. And when I got 59 and when I did the in and out and hit the floater and got 61, it was like pretty emotional, right? And it's. I don't, my dad was assistant coach from my high school at the time, so I went to the free throw line and when I threw the ball out of bounds, I just looked at my dad and fell into his arms crying because my granddad was so much, like not just for my family, but for the community. Like everybody knew me as Mr. Jones' grandson, right? My granddad was, it's, it's, it's crazy because even writing this book, the whole process of it was like therapy for me. Like sometimes I hadn't talked about this stuff in 20 years and I try not to get emotional about it, but uh, my kids, we found a video recently of my granddad's 60th birthday party, right? And like I said, back in the day, everybody had tapes of everything. And it was a, VA, it was a tape set up like this at the, at the cookout, right? You couldn't do that today because you don't know what somebody's going to say. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I was looking at the tape of it, and I took a video of it, and I put it in my family group chat. And my mom called me crying. My, my kids, my wife, they had never heard my grandfather's voice. Mm. You know, you, you take some of that stuff for granted, man. And um, it's just been cool, the whole process of it, um, learning more about my family and getting my 
kids an opportunity to know who their great-grandfather was. And I know that was in high school, but dudes do it to this day when dudes go out there and drop 61. I'm, I'm a Heat fan. I watched Jimmy drop 56 yeah, yeah, early yeah, in the yeah. playoffs. Do you tell your teammates, hey, y'all running wind sprints today? Do they know that they ain't going to touch the damn ball with <laughs> offense? <laughs> because I ain't going to no, play with your ass no, too that's, much longer. That's a real good question because <laughs> what's crazy is nobody knew. My teammates didn't know. My teammates didn't know. And the other thing is, is if you watch the game, it wasn't like I shot it literally every time down. I think I still had 10 assists in the game. All I did before the game was uh, in high school, we used to shoot free throws or whatever before we got on the bus and went to the game. All I told my coach was, because we was nice. My high school, we was nice. And so I told my coach, I said, coach, if we get a big lead tonight, just let me play. Just let me play. Like, you know, when you get up 20 and 30, they sit you. I said, coach, tonight, just let me play. The only person that I think knew was my backcourt mate, dude named David Gillette. You're known as a facilitator. Yeah. You were what, 11,000 assist club, what, six-time assist leader? Something like Something that. Something crazy. You don't need a man to know it's that too many assists to even played know. played a long time. But, uh, but, but to make that decision, because everybody loves glory. Everybody loves glory. You're capable of scoring 30 a game, but you decide to be a facilitator. You're better at assisting because you got the rock. And now you say, I'm going to pass it up. To this day, I watch you now, bro. To this day, you'll pass up shots to give somebody else. You know what? Some of my coaches, that's what they on me the most. And it's so crazy, man, because I, I mean, I had seasons where I averaged 23, uh, 21 or something like that. And I don't know, I think that's probably one of my biggest faults is not being more aggressive. You know, and I, I battle with that because I guess since I was young, I always knew I could get any shot I wanted to, right? But knowing that it's a team sport, I'm always like, let me get this guy a shot. Let me get this guy a shot. That's sort of been the downfall of me, too. So I'm still, 18 years in, I'm still trying to get better, you know what I mean, and find, finding that balance. You know, just don't throw the ball away. He just throws it to people. He just come down and keep the ball. I know, right? I know. <laughs> I usually, so I usually pick basketball players I'm a fan of by the way they play basketball, yeah, right? And I'm not talking about the skill. Like, you guys have, the fact that you can go score 61 means that you have a level of skill that most humans don't have with the basketball. Uh, people call you the point guy, all these, all these different things. But I like you is because I think you'll fight. <laughs> I'm just being honest. Like, basketball players who I think will fight become my favorite basketball players. You just happen to be really good at it, but, fights. but I know you would, <laughs> I've seen it. But outside of that, you mentioned your father, uh, Charles, yeah. being a real dad. Obviously, Mr. Nathaniel Jones, your grandfather, was a real father. And the scoring made me think about it. You scored 41 in game six mm -hmm. of the Western Conference Finals. And before you cuss and leave, you know, you say, I wish my son and my family was here. And there was a story written about you afterwards about how you're not only debunking father time, but you're debunking the black myths and narratives hmm. of fatherhood. How important was your upbringing, having two men hmm. like that in your life to teach you how to be a father to your children and a husband to Jada? Man, I'm gonna tell you this, man. I'm glad I'm here to speak on this, sometimes I, I just feel like I'm always doing the work, right? And sometimes people who talk do this and do that, but I just feel like I always just try to put my head down and do the work. And I'll never forget this. 
I need to go back and see who it was, but some of the talking heads some years ago, you know, certain things you may not speak on, but you pay attention. We was playing against the Lakers, um, and this was when I was with the Clippers, and it was our, our away game, and we was up by like 20 or 30 or something like that, and the people who sit in the courtside seats had left already. So my son was sitting like two or three rows behind, and I asked my wife to let him come sit over there, right? Game wasn't over or whatnot, but my son came and sat down there close. And I remember it was on one of them shows the next day, and they was like, how disrespectful is this? The game is still going on. Chris Paul got his son sitting over there. And I remember being so hot in that, in a world where they always talk about us not being dads <clears throat> and not being fathers and not being present and all this. My son had just left the doctor and found out that he was gonna have to have this surgery and we was leaving to go on the road the next day. So yeah, I'm at work, but I seen an opportunity to be dad for a second, right? So I brought him down there and I remember just watching them talking heads like, y'all lost y'all mind, you know? Yeah. And that's why I think I'm so excited now that I see Deuce, right? Jason Tatum's son, out on the court before the game, you know what I mean? Yeah. Being like JT is a dad. You know what I'm saying? He gonna go out there and do his job and work and all that stuff, but he a dad. I was probably one of the first ones, I don't know, like that used to bring him to the press conferences with me, mm -hmm. right? I used to take Chris to the press conferences with me after games and he'd say wild stuff or whatnot, but for them 40 minutes, 48 minutes while I'm out there on the court playing, I'm locked in, I'm locked in. But when the game over and we break it down, I'm dad. Y'all know what it's like being a professional athlete early mornings, working out, training, or whatnot. And so I've always tried to be that because I had a dad who, who like worked. My pops, man, he found a way, he made a way. He coached all my teams, right? He coached all my teams and I don't get to do that, yeah. right? And so I've always just tried to be as present as I can be in a world that is extremely abnormal. I gotta get a happy dad on that one. <laughs> <laughs> gotta, gotta get a happy dad on that one, man, because that's all. Mine. Yeah, 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 I got y'all. You got it. You well, know, man, that's why I left with you. I ain't never throw it to you. <laughs> nah, I caught some passes, bro. <laughs> nah, I caught a ton of passes, bro. Hey, what you mean? I'm in it. What you mean? Is it what you mean? I caught, you don't know, no answer. I probably caught, I probably averaged 30, 40 catches a season. Oh, that's a lot. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was decent. That was back then, but I was totally rock. In the new yes, NFL, they catching. I don't know, Christian McCaffrey, 100 catches, other, other backs, Le'Veon 60, 70. It's funny to hear y'all say new NFL, because it's like changed I, a lot. It's changed. Yeah, I played it's in changed. the old NBA and the new NBA. <laughs> Correct. Yeah, you know two, different, two different games. But that's the that's right. the testament to your longevity and, and your athleticism and your talent, you know. Uh, but this going back to being present, you know, speaking and staying there real quick. You have a ton of uh, initiatives with HBCUs. You have a few docu-series that you did with ESPN that you produced at FAM, Southern, and I believe North Carolina uh, Central, Yep. right? Why is the support so strong for those schools? Man, I'll tell you the support is because um, when you're younger, like I didn't really get into history and all that stuff till I got older, right? I was like a math kid when I was like in school. I hated history. I didn't want to know nothing about nothing. And as I started getting older, I started to ask a lot more questions. I just always been curious, right? So when you're a kid and you're growing up, you just know where you're at. You know what I'm saying? You just know what's around where you're at. So I grew up in Winston-Salem 
Wake Forest was down the street, Winston-Salem State, both in Winston-Salem. I don't know nothing about the school. I don't know that this is a PWI. I don't know this is a HBCU. Right. I don't never go to Wake Forest. I don't ever, like, they got like trees around the campus, so you can't see there. But I would go to Winston-Salem State all the time because we would go to the football games on Saturday. My cousins, all my family went there. And so um, that's just my normal. Mm-hmm. Wasn't until I got to the NBA and got a little older and I started saying like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So this school like this, because they get a bunch of money, they get the proper funding. Oh, okay, it's only 105 HBCUs. Okay, you got HBCUs right here because our people couldn't go to these different schools once upon a time and get the education, mm-hmm. right? So it's always been, like, it's genuine, right? And I always say this, I went to Wake Forest University and I'm so grateful for that opportunity and what I was able to do from Wake Forest, but that doesn't mean that I still can't support Winston-Salem State, yep. A and T, and all. Because I ask y'all, y'all went to the U, right? right? I know you was at LSU. They went. They Florida. went to Florida. Oh, Florida. 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 Yeah, I went to LSU. Florida. Oh yeah, University of Florida. Yep. But y'all was down there in Florida. You was at LSU. Right down the street from Southern. From Southern. Did y'all ever go over to Fam? We would take trips up to Tallahassee <laughs> and, and, and slide to Fam. Right. But we had a nice two-hour drive there. My I, wife. Just to hang my out My wife's gonna set. watch, but. This and that, yeah. you know what I'm saying? <laughs> right, right. So, so that, that culture and all that stuff, man, is, is real. Yeah. It's real. And so for me, um, it was about just showing people that they, they got that support. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? They got that support. And then the other thing was about not just wearing the shirts and the hoodies and all that. It's really putting dollars and cents behind it and trying to figure out how I could just help any way possible. Yeah, I want you to talk about a few of your initiatives so you can share with the people that will watch it. But did that uh, love for HBCUs, did that influence the decision to graduate from Winston-Salem University and not Wake Forest? Oh, yeah. Congratulations. Oh, appreciate it. When I went to Wake Forest, I didn't know I was going to the NBA, right? I wasn't like the kid who just went to school for a minute and already knew that he was getting drafted. So I went to Wake to get a good education so that I would go out into the workforce with a degree. And so, uh, actually, right when little Chris was born, I was taking classes. I was actually, he was born in 09. I'd been in the league for, what, four years? And I was going to class at Wake Forest. Then at one point, I made, I remember I made a USA team and I was taking classes and I had to go to USA and one of the teachers failed me. I was like, man, can I make that up? <laughs> can I make that up? So then, just like anybody, I took a nice hi- hiatus. And then I remember right before the pandemic and during the pandemic, I was like, I'm gonna take some classes. I wanna graduate from Winston-Salem State. I went to Wake Forest, did those couple years. I love to marriage that whole thing together, man. And it was a process. It was one of the dopest things ever. Like some of my classes, I'll just tell you this, like some of them was online and your teachers would canvas. I had to get on canvas to see all my schedule and my classes, my classmates. I had some of my classmates email me and be like, is this really? Chris, is this, is this really you? Because some of the assignments would be the first thing you got to do is you got to email two or three of your classmates and tell them who you are and what you do. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> right. Man, I think, well, shoot, I left my wallet in the car, but I got my, I got my student ID. I keep it with me, man, because that was a, a memorable day. But why the hell did you want a degree? You say your fourth year you went back? I don't want a pocket watch, but you already had bread. And then through years, you made a lot of bread. Why did you need a degree? Because they asked me. I left as a so- uh, sophomore, red shirt. Yeah. They, they told me, hey, why don't you go back and get a degree? And I looked at them and was like, why? 
I make more money than a doctor right now. Because you know what? For me, it's, it's about completion. You know what I mean? For real, it's about completion. I, I ain't never been a quitter, never will be. But it's something I told my mom, right, before I left school, like when I went, that I was going to do it. I'll never forget my brother when he graduated. I was just so proud. Everybody in my family yeah. didn't get that opportunity. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so when, you, when you're doing, like, sets in the weight room, right, and, you, and the trainer tell you you got 10, right, and you get to eight, and he walk away and look away, do you not do the last two? Got to. You got to. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So it's just something about completion. Like, I wanted to finish and... I love that word, completion, because it's about finishing, right? It's about starting something and finding a way to the end. You are solidified as a great. You're going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. After you went to the finals, you said that you were addicted to that feeling. Right. And not even in a joking way, these two never been in a championship, so I'm going to talk to you. <laughs> you right? go. They be saying I'm, I'm real sober now, eh? <laughs> they be saying. Yeah. No, these two have never been in a professional championship. Yeah. So every now and then when I start talking about championship games, I like to talk to people who've been in the same sort of arenas that I have uh. in those big moments. No, but for, for you, you have all the individual accolades you could ever want. You continue to play, you, you play the game hard. And, you know, like I said earlier, just the way you compete is what I love to see out of great basketball players. How difficult has it been to be so close? I think uh, game five in Houston, you guys have the Warriors on the ropes. You get hurt. Uh, this year, now you have KD and you have Book. You know, you were a huge part of that because now you could take the ball handling, they get spot up and shoot and play those games, and then you injure, yep. you're growing. How difficult has it been to deal with so many almost for you? Man, it's tough on me, but I think it's probably even harder for the people around me, right? Especially my wife. My wife is the one who has to bear those late nights, those I can't sleep, and my kids. Like, my daughter is the sweetest soul you'll ever meet in your life right, the sweetest soul ever in your life, but she's at that age now where at school, kids talk crazy to her, right? So she had a little boy, whatever, at school that said some reckless stuff to her. It was like, your daddy ain't never gonna win no championship, right? And my baby is so, she's special. She'll hold it together there, but when she got in the car, she called and she was upset. And I had to have that conversation with her and talk to her, you know, and tell her like, baby, some people talk and some people do, mm -hmm. but that's part of it. It's tough, man, but can't nobody ever be harder on me than I am on myself, right? And I feel like I've been in every situation there is possible. Um, I was in the playoffs when I played for uh, the Clippers and game three or four in Portland, one of them, I go for a steal, my finger gets caught in the guy's jersey, spiral fracture in my hand. I had to get 16 screws put in my hand, right? So I've had injuries and things like that. But the one thing about it, as mad as I, all, I am and whatnot, I cannot let that define me, right? I gotta get back to work. And I think that's what's happened over my career is when those things happen, I take that night to let it process. And then that next morning, I gotta get back to work. If that's rehab, if that's whatever it is, and then I work as hard as I can to make sure it doesn't happen again. Do you see how they treat Barkley and think about that? How the man's amazing, all the numbers, Hall of Famer, but every time they talk about Barkley, he ain't got a damn ring. I see it. The, the good thing for me is I'm still playing. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? Right. I'm still playing. And to each his own, 
or whatnot. I'd be lying if I said I didn't want to win a championship, but uh, it ain't like I go out there like I'm not trying to win a championship, you know what I'm saying? But I also know how blessed and fortunate I am that I get a chance to play. Nothing against guys who done won, but I, 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 I guarantee you I could run off some guys that didn't want it, that's sitting at home chilling, that wish yeah. they could still play. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that championship you got is not going to put you back in somebody's locker room. That's <laughs> real. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. So there's gratitude there for still having the ability to play. I didn't realize y'all didn't win a championship. Have you ever thought about like if you did win it, like what is it going to feel like? Oh, yeah. Shoot, I was laying in the confetti, you, Chris. You, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just saying like, like yeah. for y'all, for I'm real. Sorry. I never played, uh, obviously, in the big game, uh, but we were this close in Jacksonville in 99, which is forever ago. And, you know, you have those moments like, dang, what, 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 what would it have been like? And then you tell yourself, it's okay, we'll get back. Then you don't see the playoffs again for right. five or six years. But, nah, but those know. moments, and, you know, for me still to this day, leading up to the Super Bowl is tough for me. Like, I still get pissed, mm -hmm. upset, frustrated. It, and I've been retired now for 13 years, but I can watch the game, but just the moment leading up to it, and then post-game celebration, I turn the TV off. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's real you say that. Go ahead. You oh, me? I know where this is going. I don't care. I thought about if I win a Super Bowl, this Rolodex of women about to go through the room. <laughs> <laughs> it's a wrap. I, I found out through time that my approach to sports was way different than everybody else. Yeah. I was chasing money and partying. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? That's why I probably ain't players. They double-digit years. I played for six because I was beating my body to death the whole time I was playing. I yeah. was out every Even night. Even nine-game days. Yeah. <laughs> hey, earmuffs. He's talking about beating his body to death. Like, I beating his know what beating now. Yeah. He ain't talking yeah. about just running I, through yeah. Miami. Oh, I already know. <laughs> yeah. uh, Chris, just going back to it, you know, had some close moments, and unfortunately the injuries happened, and there was another almost, that 2011 trade mm. that didn't go through to the Lakers. <laughs> How often do you, do you think about that? Because I went back and looked at the roster. Bean was still, Kobe still putting up 27. Paul was there, Odom. They had a They, they, they were all going to be in the trade. Oh, they were going to be in the trade. Yeah. Okay. But still, Kobe was there. I don't yeah. know why. No, Bean was up. still there. That whole story going to be for a whole nother time. But <laughs> it's crazy because it was wild, man. It was wild. Shout out to uh, my boy Trevor Ariza, who was with me. It's crazy how all that stuff went down, man. And, how the GM called and me and Kobe got on the phone. We talked. We talked and uh, a phone call came through to let us know that the, the trade was next. I went to go eat at a, a restaurant called Z's. That's where I was. Me, my wife, little Chris was a baby and Trevor. And the people in the restaurant started talking crazy like, F you man, get out of here, get out of here, get out of here. So then we left and went back to the, to the condo and we thought the trade was happening. It didn't. Like I said, me and Kobe got on the phone, and Kobe is, is just special, and it's different. And I think I was so excited about it. I seen a podcast from him from a while ago talking about us, like, with the All-Star game, right? Like, me and Kobe was just wired the same. You know what I mean? His talent was outrageous, but when we played against each other, we was about to fight just about every time because we was both on the same energy. And I don't know how to not play for real, right? So if it's a preseason game, let's get to it, right. right? If it's a regular season game, let's get to it. If it's an all-star game, let's get to it. So Cole, 
any all-star game that me and him played together, I don't think we ever lost. Wow. Right? Wow. And that was just because our approach to it was, you get paid for playing an all-star game, right? You, the winning team get a certain amount, the losing team get a certain amount. But even if it was just for the winning team get a dime and the losing team get a nickel, we're going to play it the same way. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So I, I hate that that opportunity didn't get to happen because especially at that point in my career, I always knew how good Kobe was, even at catch and shoot. But he's never got a chance to show that part of his game. Right. But had we got a chance to play together, I think it could have been fun. The part of that story that's crazy is you actually had to go back to practice hmm. afterwards. <laughs> and, and just to, honestly, bro, I'm uh, from the N.O. Just yeah. to be in the N.O. and people think you want to be gone, I already know how. So let me, let me tell you this, though, Ryan, and I, I never spoke on this, and I yeah. tell you this, what a lot of people don't know, a lot of time then passed now, but they was coming to practice, right, because there'd be a lot of people in New Orleans say, you left us, you left us, whatever. If I keep it 100 right now, I tell you, they was coming to practice and telling us that the team was leaving. Mm -hmm. They was telling us that the team was moving to Kansas City. They told us that the team was moving to, um, what was it, San Diego, somewhere, uh, somewhere in California. Like, me and David West had been there. You know what I mean? And we never spoke on this. I don't know why today today I'm going to say this, but they was coming to tell us that the team was moving. First, there was this one guy, Mr. Schwest, that was going to buy the team at one point. And then, you know, the NBA took over the team or whatnot. So when I left, it wasn't like I'm leaving New Orleans because I want to be out of here. Like, the team was saying that they were moving and going to do this and going in all these other different, different directions. So that's why me and D. West was like, okay, it's time for us to, to move on. Like, that city... Man, listen, you know and I know, like, I will never have another bond like I had with that city, right? That, you got drafted right before Katrina, I got too. drafted a month before Katrina, right? Two months before Katrina. Like, the city of New Orleans will forever hold the deepest place in my heart, right? My first two years was in Oklahoma, so I'm grateful for that. But then we went back to New Orleans. Like, Man, I got real family to live in that city. Your foundation you know does work there, too. Yeah, right? my sister-in-law from New Orleans, Randy, Kev, the Green Ups, like, them, that's my real family that's there, man. So I hoop. I try not to trip at all, whatnot. But, like, when I play back in New Orleans and people start booing and doing all this, I be looking around like, are y'all serious? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But I be cool on the court because I get it. I get it or whatnot. But I used to have a party, like, after every game. Real talk. Like, after every game when I played in New Orleans, not some games, every game, <laughs> I'd be up at 360. 360. Yeah, yep. or Republic or whatnot. Like, that year we went to the playoffs, 2008, was the same year the All-Star game was there. The Saints won the Super Bowl. I actually tore my meniscus. I was on crutches. I was out um, on Poydras after the Saints won the Super Bowl. The night they won the Super Bowl, I was out there with my family on crutches out there celebrating with the city of New Orleans, man, so. For anybody who does doubt your love for it, was that you were actually emotional leaving when it was finally time to leave. I read, you even said, like, there were people that you didn't even get to say goodbye to that were family. And so I think people see athletes and they think that we control all the business, <laughs> but we don't, which should be obvious by that situation because at that time, the league was running the team and had to okay the trade. Man, so, if you knew, boy, Ryan, I'm telling you, like, <laughs> it's so much stuff that went down in that whole situation. I actually called David Stern one night. He was at dinner. He was at dinner with his wife. And I'm, shit, I'm just out here talking to Dana. But 
I was, I called him, he was at dinner. So one of the biggest issues, this was right after the uh, CBA had just finished, right? And so when the trade went through, what happened was a few of the owners was mad. They said, no, this trade can't go through because we just had this whole CBA talking about player movement. One of the biggest issues and why I was mad, and there was a tweet that I sent out right after the trade got nixed, I said, wow, right? And a lot of people don't know the biggest frustration was because at this point, it was about money, right? So had my trade went through to the Lakers, I would have kept my bird rights, hmm. right? I would have kept my bird rights, which meant that if I, the trade happened, then I would have got a chance at some point when my contract was up to sign a longer deal right, because I was being traded. But when they told me on the phone, go to practice tomorrow and be ready to play out the rest of the season, right? So now that meant if I play the rest of the season and I leave as a free agent, I would get one less year. Yep, so it's one, one less year guaranteed too. Guaranteed, so at the time it was like a $20 million difference. Right. So like I said, I never talked about that, but that was the, the big, Hold up. Yeah, it was playing with Kobe and going to the Lakers, but also it was about you just nixed a trade, which is going to mess up my money. Right. Which is even more to this story about why I went to the Clippers and how I had to. It was crazy. Just know that. It was. It was <laughs> my, my other question would be like, we're talking uh, about the league, and you know, I always mess with them about championships, but it's also different to represent your country. And you got to do that and be a part of the redeemed team. They know, and I talk about all the time, I'm the biggest Kobe fan mm -hmm. ever. And that's why I was so mad about the trade, because I was like, we back. I was like, we just got us two out of three. But, you know, and so I, that was the excitement for me and the disappointment. But to be a part of that and to have that experience with Kobe Bryant, but also be the team that brought back some of the dominance we saw with the Dream Team, which is what I grew up with. Yep. Right. I, I thought it was going to be like that forever. I was like, oh, now that the pros are playing, this would be that sort of dominance. And that Wayne, what was it like to be a part of bringing that back? And now looking back on it, knowing that Kobe Bryant has passed, what sort of memories and place does that hold for you? It's a lot. In 2004, I was still in college, right? So I played on the USA team under 18 team when I was in college in 04. It was like me, PJ Tucker, Sean May, Right? It was a bunch of us that played in 04, which that was the same year that the USA team lost in Greece. Right? So 06, this is after my rookie year. So now Coach K is the coach. I'm one year removed from college, all that Wake Duke energy. Right? And we go, and if you watch that documentary, you see that we lose in 06. That was tough, right? Because when we lost, we sitting in the locker room like, man, how are we going home? How are we going back home after we just lost? So then 08, we just came in with a different energy. You know what I'm saying? When Cove said he was playing, that was also cool. But um, it was a lot, of, a lot of different dynamics there because it's a lot of different personalities that's all coming in. And I'll never forget one of the things Coach K said that was, that was really big. And y'all know playing sports this long, I take bits and pieces from all these coaches and stuff that you play with, teammates. He said, I don't need you to leave your ego at the door. Right? Usually you always hear everybody say, man, everybody leave your ego at the door. He said, don't leave your ego at the door because that's what makes each one of you great. Wow. He said, bring it in here and let's figure out how to make them all work together. Yeah. Right? So you pushing a break and I got Kobe on one wing, Melo on the other, Braun, you know what I'm saying, right. D-Wade. It was, 
that, that was memorable because we felt like we really, like that year we practiced. Like practice was OD. It was crazy. Like 2012, we ain't practiced as much. We sort of knew, yeah. you know, who we were, what we were going to do. But 2008, like you talk about get it out the mud. Like 2006 was like, like we had tryouts. Yeah. Can y'all imagine that? <laughs> no, no, like real talk. Like we had tryouts in 2006. They brought like 30 something NBA players to Vegas and like throw the ball out on the floor, dive on the floor. Like we had real tryouts. You, you imagine getting to the NBA, the highest yeah. point of your life, right. and then you get cut. <laughs> right, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Y'all yeah. probably didn't heard Gil talk about it before. Y'all ever heard Gil, Gil, yeah. Gil talk about it? Yeah. Seen the Netflix Redeem Team special when they talk about how. No, but you gotta talk about. to Gil, man. <laughs> Gil, Gil is one of the funniest people you ever meet in like Gilbert Arenas, yeah. right? Before my rookie year, I lived in DC and worked out with Gil. Man, <laughs> they cut, so they cut Bruce Bowen which was wild. They like waited till we got over to China, right? And then cut him. Send him home? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> they, cut, they cut Bruce. This is 2006. They cut Bruce when we had got way all over there. And I remember we was like, why they wait till we get over here to cut him? <clears throat> Man, when they cut Gil, <laughs> right? Y'all should ask Gil about it. <laughs> when they cut Gil from that team, because the other thing too is when you think about these teams, it's not just always the best players, yep. right? It's got to be the best fit or whatever. And not saying Gil wouldn't have fit, but <clears throat> Gil was nice. I mean, yeah. one of the best guards I ever played against. When they cut him, ooh-wee, Gil let all them know. <laughs> he let all them know. He was like, listen, when I play y'all, I'm going to get you 50. I'm going to get you 60. And he said, if I could go back to college, Coach K, I'd get you 70. <laughs> Guess what he did? When he played against Portland, Nate McMillan, 50. <laughs> when he played against D'Antonio, 50. You know what I'm yeah. saying? But it was, it was some times that I don't think any of us ever forget. And, bro, you talk about that. Like, I was going to ask you about, like, the continuity of a team. Because you're all these teams, and they love each other, and they're best friends until hmm. they don't win the championship. Right. And now they wasn't that tight like that. Listen, it, it listen gets on, man. Boy, <laughs> you said something with that one. Yeah. That gets on my damn nerves. I know you don't have to be friends to have a successful team. Yeah. But what does it take to have that, those 15 guys really be, I guess, close enough or respectful enough to really win one? Y'all been in, on teams and locker rooms and stuff. I think at the end of the day, you got to respect the other person, right? Just respect the other person's craft and what they bring to the table. I've been on some teams that we hang out, we kick it and all that stuff like that. But I've been on some teams where it wasn't like that, right? I'll tell you this, my favorite teammate my whole career is a guy named David West. Right? Me and D West, our wives, my wife Jada and his wife Leslie was tight, like always together talking. Me and D West didn't hang out and go to dinner and stuff like that, right? I still talk to D West now, you know what I'm saying? But on the court, we were so locked, right? Because there was a respect factor there and we led in different ways. I was more vocal, D West sort of just led with how he played, but it was a trust factor there. You don't have to be buddy buddy with everybody, but there's there's a thing that you don't want to let the man next to you down, mm. right. right? I think that's the teams that's, that's the most successful. When you so invested, you invested for him, right? Like, I want, I, of course, I want to win, dog, but I want to see you win. Yeah. And you can feel that. Y'all know what it's like when you got a team like that, when you look at your teammate and he probably come hit your helmet and be like, let's get it, let's go, you know? And so that's just my opinion. People always ask me about locker room. We have a lot more players right. than right. you guys have. But, like, if Fred played offense, I would probably see Fred for, like, 15 minutes in the morning right. at the team meeting, 
we'd see each other in the locker room or at lunch, and then on the field, we would alternate. He'd be on the field when I wasn't, and we'd switch it. So you, you don't really hang with everybody like that. But I would always say, all my teammates ain't my friends, and all my friends ain't my teammates. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's just how it was. But then you see, like, me and Troy, like, some of my best friends in the world. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? But we both played safety. So like you said, we totally different humans. You know what I mean? But we were just so locked in that when he moved, I moved. Like, we always knew what it was. For you, CP, being as great as you are, you've been in New Orleans, you've been in LA, you've been in Houston, you've been in OKC, you've been in Phoenix. And the one thing that I loved about you going to OKC was that people kind of wrote it off like, he's just there, right? And you competed and the team competed. You know, I think it was in 2019, you started writing a saying on your shoe to let you know like you had to keep going you actually do not seem like a nice person. Mm -hmm. For real. And hearing people talk about you, I've heard like a lot of good things, how intelligent you are, how tough you are, this. No, I've never heard anybody say, you know what? I just love being around him. <laughs> you know what I mean? But everywhere you go, those teams compete, those teams play smart, they play hard, and they win. How have you been able to adjust to different scenery, different locker rooms, different styles, and make it your own and have those teams play so well? It's hard, you know what I mean? Like for real, probably to play with me, you know, to be, to be my teammate or something like that, because a lot of times I got a one-track mind, you know what I'm saying? And that's to compete. And if you're not on that same energy, then it's gonna be hard. It's gonna be hard for us to get along. It's hard. That's why me and Book get along probably, because he on that same energy. One thing you learn in this league is that a lot of guys start to appreciate you after the fact. After the fact, right? A lot of guys would be like, man, C was hard, and then I leave or something, and then ain't nobody hard on him or whatever, and then it sort of just fall apart. You know what I'm saying? You know how that old saying, they say when you, your coach getting on you, you should like it, because when he stopped... He don't care no more. He don't care no more. Yep. Like, when I went to OKC, it was dope, because... Uh, I've never been the one that when everybody goes right, I usually go left. To each his own, whatever guys want to do when they say they don't want, like they get traded to a certain place and they say they ain't going to show up, right? I don't even know what that means. When I got traded to uh, OKC, I was in Atlanta at the Peach Jam with my AU team. But they already told you, though, they weren't trading you, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Daryl Moore. That's my always man. great. My <laughs> man Daryl Moore had called me like a week before while I was in Vegas. He was like, you don't want to get traded to OKC, right? I was like, nah, not at this point, you know, in my career. He was like, okay, cool. I won't do that because you chose to come to us. Fast forward a week later, I was on the phone with my wife, and then it said Daryl was calling, and then it popped up on Bleacher Report that I had been traded to OKC and talked to Daryl for literally two seconds and hung up. Didn't see him again into the bubble. <laughs> You know what I mean? But it is what it is, and it shows you in this league and professional sports, don't nobody owe you nothing, right? And I tell you this, uh, OKC was unbelievable. I might not still be playing if not for that year I had there, because I found that joy back. When somebody get traded, what's usually the first thing that happen? Like the coach or something from the, they call you, right? So when I got traded to OKC, nobody called me. Nobody called me, so the coach didn't call me for OKC. The GM, Sam Presti, who's a great guy, nobody called me. And so, like, another day went by, and they ain't called me. And uh, I asked my agent at the time, I was like, why ain't nobody called me, right? And they were saying, because they think you're going to get moved somewhere else. So I called him. I called Sam Presti. And I was like, hey, Sam, this is Chris. I was like, can you send me some of the guys on the team phone number? 
You know what I mean? Because I don't know about getting moved or whatever, but right now, I play for the Thunder. Yeah. So I need to reach out to these guys. And that's what happens, man, in the world of social media and all these alerts, right? So then everybody starts saying, what? Chris don't want to be there. He didn't want to do that. So our very first team meeting, what I do? I stood up in front of my whole team. I said, if y'all want to know something about me, ask me. I was like, I'm not asking to be traded. I'm here, right? But that's not the way everybody operate. People let the media say this or say that in the locker room. And so a lot of people can't handle that. Right? So if it's an issue going on, if it's a problem, I'm going to address it. Right? And I, that, that's who I am. You know what I mean? And so when people can't handle that or don't like it, then it is what it is. But I've always stood on the fact that I know who I am. And I do right by my teammates, whoever that is, any of them. If they can't be around, it is what it is. But I know at the end of the day that I can stand on that. That personality trait that, that like you say, they call it killer mentality. They call it Mamba mentality, all that stuff. And like you say, you know how it's supposed to be. You think your personality turned off teams or people in the past? Because, like, Ryan said it nicely. I'll clean it up and say butt wipe. You don't seem like one sitting down with you. The kids here, but. Man, my kids that hurt everything. You can say whatever you want to say. My okay, kids that hurt everything. I think if you ask a number of people, they'll call you an asshole. For sure. Has that negatively affected your career or life in any way? How so, though? You know what I mean? Just with the trades and things. You're going from team to team to team. is you know, rubbing people the wrong way. Somebody embraces you because you're on the court talent. They don't really know you, bro. Then you're yeah. in the facility. Then you're being Chris Paul, and that turns them off. I totally get what you're saying. So the trades, right, going from New Orleans to L.A., right, that wasn't, like, no team issue. Going from L.A. to Houston, that wasn't, like, a, like they trade me that's a whole nother situation of how it was like presented so that was the only time I got traded right not knowing was from Houston to OKC you know what I'm saying like OKC to Phoenix was worked out with them they was helping me get somewhere that was closer to home rubbing guys the wrong way or whatnot like I said if that happens or has happened or whatnot what you learn too in playing in this league a long time is a lot of guys out here be private friends, but public talking crazy, right? Yeah. I'm telling you, and I know this for a fact, a lot of these guys who go out here saying this, saying that, they also hitting you on the other end saying, yo, can you help me do this? <laughs> can, yo, I'll be a great vet on your team. You know what I mean? So, yeah. you know, even after my trade went through to Houston, I had a conversation with Bomber. You know what I mean? Like, all this stuff is, is real. Like, as, as men, as humans, you got to be able to have those conversations. And... I also had a job, too, as a union president for, for eight years, which that came with a lot of shit with it, right? With a lot of guys who didn't like the way this was done, didn't like the way that was done. It's some people who will go out there and talk crazy on my name or something like that because of how things was handled. When you're in a leadership position, right, and this is, this is real talk, and you guys have been in it, too, sometimes you got to do things and you can't worry about being liked, mm -hmm. right? Because you got to actually, like, make real decisions. Like sometimes y'all know when they talk about like coaches, right? Or they got assistant coaches, right? And everybody who can say, oh, I would have did it like this. Or I should have did this. You know what I mean? I've been in a situation where I've had to, with the executive committee, Andre Godala, man, that's, that's one of my dogs right there. And even though we battled against each other for a long time, Golden State, when I was in Houston and LA, we'd have been in a lot of 
crazy conversations for the betterment of the players in the league that ain't always gone the way the guys particularly wanted to go. You know what I'm saying? Like that bubble, if y'all knew how many guys was calling, saying, what the hell are you doing? Why are we going down there and playing? But you learn to live with it. Correct. You speak about <clears throat> leadership, and as I'm sitting here listening to you, and you know, RC's asking, uh, you know, questions. He does do a ton of research. That's why, yeah. you know, he, he just won an Emmy. And he, that's why he's great at what he does. Nah, you, what for I'm real, dog, because that's dope to you know, know all um, that. Like, I, I pay attention. I'm listening. I'm right. Listening. And the, the beautiful thing about the pivot in this platform is, especially with our guests, they have an opportunity to say it in their words, you know, and let people hear it directly from the horse's mouth. But I'm, I'm listening to you, and I, I'm, I love how you carry yourself and how you're attentive, you move with a sense of urgency, how you like to communicate, and you get on the phone and call like a man should call. Yeah. Uh, and with that, do you see yourself getting into coaching or GM? Because that's what you sound like. Sound like you're going ownership. to coach. Yeah. yeah, some ownership, coaching, GMs, um, any of that stuff in the near future or man, after you're done? Man, definitely uh, love to be in ownership. One of my old teammates called me this morning to ask me uh, questions about how they can be better in the playoffs going forward. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, real talk. Like, I, I played long enough now that a lot of my former teammates is coaches and stuff. You know what I mean? You know, we lost to Dallas in the yeah. second round. Doug was my teammate when I played for the Clippers. He called me during their first round asking me how they could be the team that they was about to play. Then fuck around, played us in the second round, beat us. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right, yeah. So, like, I love this game, man. And one thing I can say, and I say it here, and don't nobody know this game better than me. That's real. Yep. That's real. Like, the ins and outs and nuances of this game. I wake up in the morning, my kids know I'm watching tape, I'm watching film, I'm thinking strategy. You might be better at something than me, but you're not going to know this game better than me. Cause I like, I'm, I'm invested. I love it from every aspect of it too, right? The grassroots level, right? AAU, you know, I got- you got AAU team. Yeah, I, I got my AAU team. I got 12 kids that play in the NBA. They came through my AAU program. I do an elite camp, right? Every summer for years and years. The very first year I had camp, Steph Curry was a camper and so was Eric Bledsoe. And it's fun for me because I get a chance to see them guys grow. Yeah, I compete against them and all day long, you know what I mean? But I know them, know them from when they're young, right? So, like, De'Aaron Fox had came to camp, Dennis Smith, all these guys, man. I get a chance to play with these guys when they're younger. But uh, coaching, I don't want to travel like that. Right. Straight up, like, because I've been gone so long from my kids, but I coach my AAU team. I, I be with them. That's fun because they actually listen. Yeah, <laughs> Those right. NBA guys don't listen too good, but... I gotta stay around the game. We didn't get into a, a lot of your business endeavors, but I see that you do a lot. And you were the first African-American in North Carolina to own a Chevron. Yeah, my grandfather was. Grandfather oh, was. your grandfather Yeah, was. my grandfather okay. had the first black-owned service station in North Carolina, so mm. since I was a kid. He just hustled, he just hustled people. That's why the, he had that the why. Pumps. That's why my granddad, <laughs> yeah. He my, but he owned it. Right. And so what's crazy is the phone number to my granddad's service station was 723-2232, right? And when you answered the phone, you said Joan Chevron. Mm. That's what you said. You said Joan Chevron. So it's crazy. When we think about ownership these days, we think about other people doing the work. But back then, owning it meant you did the work. Right. Right? On my way to school this morning with my kids, I made my son get out and pump the gas. Right? And I just thought about 
childhood, just having to check the oil, rotating tires and all that. That was, that was my childhood. First off, thank you to General Admission Studio City. They closed down for you. Like, we was like, we needed a spot. We was like, hey, Chris Paul will come in. It's like, okay, we cool. <laughs> you know, you mentioned leadership, and it's difficult to talk about leadership and where we are now as a black man, as we've spoken about, without some of the social justice things you've been a part of. And we could take it back, you know, you mentioned the bubble, how integral you were in getting that all set up, but also there was a work stoppage for a few days after the Jacob Blake incident. You know, on this show, we joke about it, but people cry a lot, right? Right now, Freddie's the softest because he cried last. Like, that's the way it works. You cry last, you're the softest person on the show until somebody else cries, you know? And so you had tears in your eyes when you talked about the way y'all came together, the things you guys had to deal with, but also how difficult it was. Being a man in a leadership position in the NBA, but most of all, a leadership position in your home. Why have you always been willing to not only put your thoughts out, but your face in front of those things and stand up for people who lack the voice that you have? Everybody has their strong suits, right? Everybody not always able to articulate their thoughts. And over time, I've been able to, to do that and to be able to like speak freely from my heart or whatnot on however I feel in a situation. So with our executive committee that we had at the union, it's different guys who can do their part. But with this certain thing, I was so invested in that bubble and putting all the different details in it that when the situation happened with Jacob Blake, it's so much that went down the night before and me and Andre Iguodala meeting with two teams who was talking about not playing to when it happened, everybody else looking like who gonna do something, right? Just like with your family, right? If you at your house with your family and somebody break in, right? Daddy. Who, yep, what yep. you gonna do? What you gonna do? And so, I was on the bus, headed to our game against the Rockets, and Shay, uh, Gildred Alexander, who like my brother, like I, I talk to him about it every day, Shay turned around on the bus, and he said, see, you see what the Bucks did? And I was like, no, what happened? He was like, they not playing. So I immediately look at my phone, and then boom, my phone started ringing. It's Damian Lillard calling. Then it's LeBron calling. Then Adam Silver called me, right? Like back to back to back, because everybody, you know, somebody got to do something. You can't just answer and be like, oh, nothing. You know what I'm saying? I had to call uh, this lady, our last name, Flateau, who had set up the whole bubble, and I asked her to put a whole bunch of chairs in a conference room, right? Because now COVID's still going on, and they don't want to let us get together. And I said, to hell with that. We need to get together and talk. And it was a conversation with Adam to let him know that we weren't going to play the games that night. And so now we got a chance to get everybody in a conference room, right? And have some real conversations and who else was gonna do it, right? And I was actually a little bit nervous, just a little bit, right, going into this, because I went in the middle of the room in front of all these players, many of who don't like me, <laughs> right? <laughs> right? Well, I don't give a damn, <laughs> you know what I mean? Because at the same time, it's a position of service. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, we got a nice CBA deal. We got all this different type stuff going on, and I could care less what they talking about, right? A job's got to be done. And so I got calls from the coaches. The coaches said they want to come into the meeting. So now I got to what? What I got to decide? Whether or not the coach could come. Exactly. Thought about it. I talked to Doc, and I talked to, um, I can't think of the other coach I talked to. And I was like, yeah. They was like, we're part of y'all family, too. We want to be in there. 
coaches come in. I get a call. Guess who else said they wanted to come in? The referees, right? And I get it. Like, everybody wants to be a part of it, but everybody's going to be like, oh, he ain't want to... Ref well, I said no to that because I wanted players to be able to talk freely, mm -hmm. right? And so we get into that meeting. We start the meeting. Guys start talking. Tell you the truth, a couple coaches said some real stuff, man. John Lucas, he was passionate, man. He talked. Y'all know Luke? Yep. Luke, man, is a real OG. He talked in there and was passionate about it. He seen the league from years ago to what it is now. He said some real stuff. So did uh, Armand Hill, money. He said some real stuff. Doc said some real stuff. Then you got some players in the back right after that that said, man, get the coaches out of here. Yeah. <laughs> right? They said, get the coaches out of here. Even though the coaches had told us some, some real stuff. Right. You know what I mean? So it was, a, it was a lot going on in there, man. But then we talked as players and all this stuff. And it was a lot for guys to handle, deal with. We broke after that day, came back the next day, and we made a decision. But it goes back to who going to do it? Who going to do it? Somebody got to do it. And everybody ain't going to like it, but yeah, it is was, what it is. I was on an executive committee for years, uh, my team. The Pittsburgh Steelers were the only team to vote no on the CBA. Mm. So imagine being the rep of the team that says no. Right. And you've been a rep on the team. You've been yep. on the executive board. You've been the president. Like, you got to ride with your folks. And when we left that room, we, we left it that way, and there was no bending on it. And we understood that the CBA was going to pass, but that's what leadership is, and yep. you've done that your entire career. Our last question that we like to give our guess the floor is to ask them, the name of the show is The Pivot, is what has been their biggest pivot in life? What has been that moment that helped shape Chris Paul? What is that moment that changed your life, whether good or bad, that you'll never forget? And being that you're an author now and your book 61 comes out on June 20th, we know some of the events that have gone on in your life, but the floor is yours just to say and talk about something that helped make you? Dang, that's a deep question. That's, it gets to everybody. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's tough because, I mean, I've been there for the birth of both of my kids. My wife is unreal. She the strongest. She, she everything in our family. I'm thinking about, like, the death of my grandfather, you know, and how that just seems prevalent. Because even now, 20 years later, I still, I just work, right? Just do the work. My wife out of town with some of our homegirls, my kids. We left the house this morning at like 7.30 to take them to school. But I was up in the gym at 5.15, you know what I mean? Like working out. And I just think about doing the work. I don't know. And people, some people may say why or whatnot, but I just think about like even when I was growing up and it might be a party or something like that going on. And, some people go and they say, why you ain't going? I always say, like, I want to enjoy things maybe later in life, right? Because doing the work, it's just always been about that. And so, I don't know. Probably as I get older, the word gratitude just means more and more to me. Just appreciate my family. And then I'll tell you this. This is crazy that you said that, is that I've always been a people pleaser, right? Always. Just always, like, a people pleaser. And that's, like... I've always had a hard time saying no, right? To this or that, you know, show up here. All right, I got you, this, that, and the other. But the biggest thing I've been trying to work on is showing up for the people who show up for me, right? 
Like, I let people do me dirty for so long, talk crazy about me, still show up for them, still do that. But it's just, just recently, I had a conversation with my wife. It's like, I'm done. I'm done with that. And so probably just the pivot is investing more time in those who, uh, who, who deserve it. And I got to ask, man, because you talk about leadership decision-making, but you lead so many people in so many great ways. I call people ecosystems. Like, we have so much around you, it's almost like you a damn son and planets are going around you. <laughs> and you're, like, seeing that and hearing you talk and doing research. But one decision you made that just blew my mind was when you, Dwayne Wade, and LeBron James... On that banana boat. ...climbed y'all's big black asses <laughs> on a tube and let a boat drag you around the damn Listen. ocean. Listen, man, first and foremost, <laughs> who, who, Melo wasn't on it. No, Melo Gabby wasn't was on the boat. Yeah, Gab was yeah. on it. You know what? That was, I mean, you knew paparazzi existed, but in the Bahamas? Like, we was like six hours out on a boat in the Bahamas on vacation, right? And Melo, if Melo would have been on time, Melo showed up late to the boat. That's why he wasn't, wasn't, wasn't on that banana boat. He was late getting to the boat, man, but. That's crazy what that turned into. Yeah, no, no, no. I knew what it turned into, and it's bullshit. <laughs> but Wade climbed up, and your ass climbed right behind no, him. No, 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 <laughs> And no, Brian climbed behind no, your ass. No, listen here. That is not how I go. It's it right here. It, it, you know, him it. and his homie done rode a horse together. <laughs> he already knows. You, know. you saw the picture? <laughs> <laughs> but, man, bro, we appreciate hey. you. Uh, this was... Something we were looking forward to. Tell, I'm gonna text CJ. Tell him thank you. Man, I appreciate you know, y'all for real. Working, do it, man. Thank you. It's been, uh, it's dope. We all love basketball. Can't none of us play. You know what I'm saying? But to get an opportunity to talk to you, where the man is greater than the player, and the player is a first ballot Hall of Famer. That's what our show is about. Man, what they so all we say. We all fall short. I ain't perfect by no means, man. Y'all know, like, always a work in progress, man. But I appreciate coming to talk and learn and, and hear from you guys too, man, because I, I ain't gonna keep talking. I know we got to end, but one of the biggest things I learned is I got my homies that I grew up with, right? Sure y'all do too. I got a group chat called the Fellas Group Chat. All my homies that I grew up with, I'm actually taking them on a trip next week, right? Ain't nothing like that. But my brother, who I love to death, there's certain things that I've been through in life that he'll just never understand, that only y'all can understand, which is why when you guys give players and stuff like that a voice to come talk, like some of my relationships, me, Braun, Mello, and D-Wade, why we were so close for so long is it's only certain things that, that we know about. Your closest friend don't know what it's like getting to that hotel at a certain time at night and having all these people right here. So I appreciate y'all for having this platform. Man, thank you, brother. Yes, sir. Appreciate you, my boy. No hey, I was, I was talking to Sandy before. I told him when right, I met right, you. Yeah. I told him when I met you in New Orleans, I was like, man, shoot, Chris is a little bit taller than me. I was like, I could probably play in the league. I was like, if I had great court vision and I had excellent handles and I could really shoot. And he's like, so if you could play basketball? <laughs> he could like, play basketball, dude. He could play basketball. You got to do all that. <laughs> Hold up. Limitless. Biggest to me, guy pinning it. I thought they here to witness it. Got my people feeling militant. Way I'm feeling, got me up. On the mission, got me up. Knowing me, I got the key. On the vision, I can trust. Trust. Limitless. Take a stomach cap, pinning it. I thought they here to witness it. Got my people feeling militant. Way I'm feeling, got me up.